The reading this evening is from the first book of Kings, chapter 11, and beginning at verse 1. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after the gods, and his heart was not fully de devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely, as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives, who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet, I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Thank you, Clive, very much indeed. The story of Solomon, so fascinating. And when I heard that Martin and the... Uh, parade team were planning to spend this morning looking at Solomon and particularly looking at the earlier part of his life and the gift of wisdom that he prayed for and that he put to such uh, valuable use. It just came to me that uh, it would be good tonight to follow that story through to the later part of his life. And so that's what we're coming to with a title that says Solomon fully devoted to the Lord question mark because from our reading it's quite clear that there was a question mark towards the later part of Solomon's life. Let's try and capture a, a little bit of a vision of this person Solomon, uh, the third king of Israel, the son of David and Bathsheba, who ruled as king for around 40 years. His story recorded in 1 Kings chapters 1 to 11 and also in 2 Chronicles, chapters 1 to 9. 
when we're thinking about Solomon in this uh, first section tonight, how would we describe him? He's been spoken of as a botanist, a zoologist, an architect, a poet, and a philosopher. Someone who had many and varied widespread gifts. Let's try and trace a little bit of his story. He had an interesting rise to power. Adonijah, David's eldest son, had appointed himself as king. But when David was told about this, he gave instructions for Solomon to be anointed as king. And Solomon then established his rule by violently removing anyone in his way, including Adonijah. So it was a fairly violent start to the reign of Solomon. But then he had a very genuine encounter with God. And this is the bit that we focused on this morning. 1 Kings chapter 3 at Gibeon. The Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. Ask whatever you want me to give you. And in this genuine encounter with God, Solomon prayed, give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. Here was a prayer for wisdom that was very important indeed for Solomon. The theme of our parade this morning, and indeed I've still got my uh, pearl of wisdom on my wrist, just as a reminder. And that example of Solomon using that wisdom in dealing with the two women who were both claiming that the infant child was theirs. There was something very real going on in that spiritual encounter with God and the gift of wisdom. Something powerful, and I think it's important to realize that God very significantly spoke to Solomon and used him in a remarkable way. As his story continues, we have strategic leadership for the nation because Solomon applied that wisdom and the leadership that he brought to the nation was effective in many ways. He, he replaced the tribal boundaries by administration districts, but at the same time, he imposed heavy taxation. Each district had to provide all the provisions for the court in Jerusalem one month each year. And there was a heavy burden on the people that was being imposed. That, in turn, led to quite a high level of discontent. But Solomon was quite strategic, and he had excellent skills in trade. He was controlling a trade route between Egypt and Asia, making the most of its business potential. Indeed, one quotation about this time was to say, as far as Solomon was concerned, silver was as common as stone and cedar as common as sycamore in Jerusalem. In other words, there was huge wealth coming into the city. And Solomon also achieved a lot in defense. There was no major military campaigns in his time, but he strengthened the nation's defenses. He established a formidable army. And then perhaps what is more commonly known about Solomon was his amazing construction of the temple and other buildings. Do you remember that David moved into Jerusalem and uh, there is what is called the city of David? and the site of the temple, but the temple was not constructed until the time of Solomon. 
But it is interesting that it took him seven years to build the temple in Jerusalem. And then it took him 13 years to build his own palace. And I think that begins to say something about Solomon and something about the way things were going and how that wealth was being applied. Building of the temple was a monumental task and a great achievement. It involved a lot of slave labor, but that came not just from the Canaanites, but also internally from the Israelites. And then Solomon was well, a well-known name amongst other nations. And so we have a little bit further on in the story, the visit of the Queen of Sheba, which illustrates this very well. His wisdom and his wealth were known and respected far beyond the borders of the Israelite nation. He was a father figure of literature. Writing and music flourished in the temple and in the court around the temple. Solomon's name is clearly attached to the wisdom literature that we have in the Old Testament. The wisdom of Solomon was deeply embedded. So we have here an influential powerful person someone to whom God spoke and gave the gift of wisdom there are many positive things that we can see in the life of Solomon in his leadership of the nation but there are also from the early stage some things that did not seem to fall into place quite correctly but there was one critical error one that stood above all else which was, of course, Solomon's many wives. The statistics on this are somewhat mind-blowing, aren't they? They were at the beginning of our reading. 700 wives and 300 concubines. How do you live like that? Well, the principle is clear. This was primarily where Solomon lost his way. Polygamy, of course, not completely unknown in the time. But there was something here that was deeper. And some of those marriages were to very influential people of other religious beliefs. And the consequences were that Solomon constructed places of worship and sacrifice for the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and other gods as well. And this blatant idolatry reached its peak, if you like, when the daughter of the Egyptian pharaoh sat on the throne of David and Solomon had a special palace built for her as it were bringing the gods the religious thinking of other nations right into the heart of Jerusalem and to the very holiest place for the Israelite nation and the narrative that we read in 1 Kings 11 clearly describes a turning away from God later in his life and the anger of God towards Solomon it is interesting that if you read the Solomon story in the books of Chronicles because it is also recorded in Chronicles you don't get that turning away from God that is recorded in Kings but you do get it in the reflections from Nehemiah because as Nehemiah looked back on Solomon Nehemiah chapter 13 verse 26 among the many nations, there was no king like him. 
He was loved by his God and God made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. The idolatry was there. And so we have this telling phrase in 1 Kings 11 and verse 4. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. And the same thought is repeated just two verses later, verse 6. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow completely as David his father had done. And I find this particularly interesting. Now David was far from perfect in his life. And there are a number of incidents that are quite clearly recorded of where David failed. And the incident with Bathsheba is well known. And his repentance and his confession that emerged after that. David's life was far from perfect. But there was something about David that was missing in Solomon. And as later writers look back, as they look at David and then they look at Solomon, there is a difference. Both leaders, both significant men of influence at the time. Both people who had powerful encounters with God. Both people who were respected in many ways. Both people who had failures, but so does everyone else. But there was something about David which was missing in Solomon. And I think the clearest clue is in this passage, in those two verses, where repeatedly we're told of Solomon, his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. That's where he went wrong. And the other things were a consequence of it. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. There was something inside that was not quite right when it came to Solomon. And that was the difference. So what does it mean to be fully devoted to the Lord our God? This is very important. Because if we see a contrast here, and we see a warning. What does it mean for us to be fully devoted to the Lord our God? And here we are. And there are uh, something over 30 of us here this evening. People who have a genuine desire to follow Jesus Christ. But are you a David or a Solomon? Is your heart fully devoted to the Lord our God? Or are there some cracks? What does it mean to be fully devoted? Well, let me suggest to you this evening that if we're to be fully devoted to the Lord our God, then first the whole of our life is shaped out of a deep passion for him. He made us and we belong to him. He loves us and we're called to serve him. I think it links to the New Testament story many, but especially the story in John chapter 20, 21, verse 15, after the resurrection where Jesus comes to Simon and says, Simon Peter, Simon son of John, do you love me more than these others do? Do you really love me? Is your heart in the right place? 
I wonder, are you able to feel tonight the heartbeat of God's love for this world? We're not here for our own success stories or for anything else that's going on around us. We are here because deep down we have a passion for God, a passion for his world, for the gospel of Jesus Christ that is able to make a difference in the life of everyone who puts their trust in him and for the expansion of God's kingdom. That's why we're here. And the whole of life is shaped out of a deep passion for God. Is that where your heart is tonight? So that you can truly say that you're fully devoted to the Lord our God. And then following on from that, everything is focused on God's kingdom. You see, there's quite a lot in this story about idolatry, isn't there? But back in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verses 2 and 3, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And Jesus, in Matthew 6, verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be yours as well. No other gods before me. Seek first the kingdom of God. Everything focused on God's kingdom. That embraces the whole of our time. It embraces our work life, our home life. It embraces all our relationships. It embraces how we use whatever material things are entrusted to us. It embraces the words that we say, the thoughts that we have, the prayers and worship that we offer. Everything is focused on God's kingdom. And we embrace within that the challenges, the pressures, and all the different aspects of our life. Everything is focused on God's kingdom. You shall have no other gods before me. For Solomon, through the wives that he should not have had, there came a very strong idolatry building places of worship for other gods within the nation Israel and indeed right at the heart of Jerusalem as well I wonder in the heart in your heart and life is there another God that's beginning to grow an idol that shouldn't be there something that is almost becoming more important than your walk with God is there something that you're striving towards and everything is focused upon it? But God is being left out. If we're fully devoted to the Lord our God, then everything is focused on his kingdom and his righteousness and nothing else. And of course it emerges from that and these points do really just roll into each other. It emerges from that that every aspect of life comes under God's control. There is no sacred, secular divide. It's not a matter of being a Christian on a Sunday and then being a different kind of person on Monday. The whole of life comes under God's control. And there is no public, private divide. So you're not a different person when other people can see you from the person that you are when no one else sees you. You're the same. Because every aspect of life is under God's control. You see, some things that we do are very open. 
And some of us, by the very nature of our lives, are very, if you like, exposed to other people. But then there are always those things that are not so open, which might only be known to one or two others. Or things that are not known to anyone else. But God knows it all. And he sees it all. Every aspect of life comes under God's control. What kind of person is God calling you to be when no one else is looking? This is challenging us as to who we are. Deep down our identity. Our sense of belonging to God all the time. Who you are is just as important as what you do. And I guess that these are all leading to the thought that inner growth is always alongside visible action. You see, a healthy tree is one where the roots are continually growing. And they keep on moving underground, don't they? And you know this because if a healthy tree is too close to a house, eventually those roots are going to get at the foundations of the house and there'll be a problem emerging from that because as a tree continues to reach up and branch out at the same time the roots continue to grow and we need to be growing all the time that inner growth needs to be continuous growing deeper into Christ through our prayers through our reading of scripture through our conversation with others, through facing the circumstances and the challenges of life that God is giving to us, through pain and hardship, as well as success and achievement, in all these ways we need to grow. And growing never stops. It's lovely to see those who are in the later years of life still growing in faith, still discovering things they didn't know from the Scriptures, and being excited by that. Still praying and hearing God answer those prayers. And being excited by that. And still trusting God when perhaps the human body begins to get a bit frail and all kinds of problems begin to emerge. But deep down, knowing and growing in the presence of God. See, inner growth always alongside visible action. These are the things that are absolutely essential if we're to be fully devoted to the Lord our God. And this was really at the heart of the contrast between David and Solomon. So in the later part of his life, though it appeared that Solomon was still doing the right things in some respects, deep down, there were serious flaws and cracks. He had many achievements. By all accounts, he was a very significant leader. But these key elements were not in place, particularly towards the end of his life. And the clearest evidence of this was the way that the nation plunged into chaos after his reign. The downhill spiral continued, as it was predicted in these words. So how is Solomon speaking to you and how is he speaking to me tonight? Maybe he's speaking into our lives where it appears on the surface that things are okay but deep down 
we know they're not. Perhaps he speaks particularly to those who appear to be successful, but where there are serious errors in their walk with God. The challenge of this story is to come to the place where it can be said of each one of us, this man, this woman, is fully devoted to the Lord their God. And when other things do creep in, as they will all the time, then come back to the story and come back to the Lord with renewed passion, with a renewed passion for God, a renewed commitment to his kingdom, a renewed focus for every part of our life and a renewed growth deep into the heart of Christ. I found it very challenging just to think this through. Just to reflect on this later part of Solomon's life, the difference between Solomon and David and what it really means to be fully devoted to the Lord our God. It's been a blessing to me and a challenge to me just to put this together. And I trust and I pray that God will speak into your life. How exciting that each one of us here can come to that place of being fully devoted to the Lord our God. What an impact each one of us can make, whoever we are, in our daily life, in our network of relationships, in our homes, and with all those with whom we relate in one way or another. And so I urge you to come to that place this evening of hearing what God is saying and allow your heart and your life to be fully devoted to the Lord our God. I suggest we just spend a couple of minutes in quiet. Just let God speak to you and you respond in your thoughts and your prayers. And then uh, whenever Mike feels appropriate, he'll come and take us into our final songs.